Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new teaching series called I Deserve It, a title package originally published by Life Church, we're going to look at the lives of four individuals who clearly deserve one thing, but the grace of God gives them another. So let's turn now to the first part of this series, I Deserve Death, but receive life. You know, sometimes you just have to bring the heavy in the room in order to get some lightness on the other side. Uh, and I think it's a great day to think about that, right? We love the boom in the sky tonight, but if you turned those cannons 90 degrees, it would be a different reality altogether for you, right? I mean, it's beautiful to boom in the sky. It's not so beautiful to boom on the ground. And I rem- I- I've actually had experience with this. Uh, I wasn't on the opposite end of the cannon. I was booming the cannons, and I tried to boom three at once one time in Georgia. This was right after they became legal in Georgia. And we did this in the church parking lot. We blew three up. Well, two of them blew up, and the shaking in the ground from those two knocked the other one over. And it aimed at my (laughs) father-in-law. And that was a bad reality for me. If you met my father-in-law, he's not the fastest person in the world, but that thing shot out at him, and it kind of bounced, 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 bounced right in front of him, and he's just standing there looking at it. And then all of a sudden, boom! And he goes, (laughs) he still didn't move fast, but his eyes just exploded with the possibility of what could happen. And, you know, that's that's sort of how I think of of the booming realities, the heavy realities in our lives. Sometimes they're hard to deal with, but they're, they're really actually something that can be good for us, if, you know, kind of from a distance, and as we observe them from a distance rather than right up on them. And embracing these moments that are heavy and uncomfortable and hard for us to deal with can actually be something that can help lead us to healing, can lead us to comfort, can lead us to a place where we'll be full of hope. And so it's important that we do that. And in this series that I'm getting ready to walk into, uh, I want us to deal with those heavy things that we actually do deserve. I don't want us to avoid them. I want us to deal with them, to live into them, and experience God's grace that can come to us in the moment where we actually look at them. And here's why I want to do this. Here's how I want us to do this hard work. There's a couple of reasons that I want to lead us in this series. I want us to honestly assess what it is we do deserve. We all think we deserve certain things, but sometimes we're not all that honest about what we actually deserve in life and what we should be receiving in life. And so I want us every single week to honestly assess the things that we actually do deserve in life. But then the second thing I want us to do as we honestly assess what we do deserve in life, I want to help us to overcome the entitlement that we have in life by encountering real freedom. We're entitled to certain things, and what we think about what we deserve is often entangled with entitlement. I deserve a good life. I'm entitled to it. I deserve comfort. I'm entitled to it. I deserve peace of mind. I'm entitled to it. And what I want to help us understand is that we can overcome entitlement in our lives by finding what real freedom is all about. And that's, that's where I'm going to kind of land. I mean, every single week, I'm going to help us encounter the real freedom that God brings to us. But today in particular, I want us to just rest with freedom uh, for just a little while. It's a perfect day to talk about freedom, right? I mean, this is, this is freedom holiday. This is 4th of July. We're going to do all we want to do. We're free people who can do that. But here's the interesting thing about freedom. And there, there are lots of different concepts and words that are similar to this, but freedom is one of those words that we just assume we know the definition to. We assume we know exactly what it is. We, 
You know, when, when you ask for a sort of a written down or a spoken definition of freedom, what often comes up is examples of what freedom is. We don't always define it out carefully, but if we're going to be a people of faith, we need to actually define what freedom is. And there's a, there's a real important reason why we should do this. One is because Jesus said that if we follow him, he will give us true freedom. And if we're defining it the wrong way, then we may be missing what God wants to do in our lives through Jesus Christ. So getting at that core definition of what freedom is, is always helpful for us. But I think generally speaking, if we were to give a written definition of what freedom is, here's how we would assume freedom should be defined. Freedom is the ability to do otherwise. It's what we often kind of lock into our mind. Freedom is the ability to do otherwise in my life. You tell me to go left, I'm going to go right. You tell me to go up, I'm going to go down. You tell me to go in, I'm going to go out. You say you like blue, I say I like pink. I like whatever. You say sink, I say swim. Whatever it is, I'm going to do otherwise. I'm going to do what I want to do. There's freedom that I have to do that. In fact, I, I, you hear around, you know, particularly this holiday, soldiers have fought for us to have the freedom to disagree with them. You heard this before? I've heard soldiers say, I fought so that you would have the right to, to disagree with me and be different from me. And, and this is all based on an assumption of, of this definition of freedom, the ability to do otherwise, the ability to do whatever we want, to choose some different plan. And it's okay. This is an okay definition. In fact, in our gut, some of us are like, yeah, that seems like what freedom would be. It's okay to have that definition if we're right about it. But if we're wrong, then we've missed out on what God wants to do in giving us the most free lives possible. And as I said earlier, this is important for a couple reasons. One, Jesus promises us to give us freedom. In John chapter 8, verse 36, which I'll come back to this verse a couple more times in this series, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. Right? There's a freedom that comes through the Son that we can hold on to. And so our connection with Christ, we discover a freedom that the rest of the world is missing. The rest of the world can't offer the type of freedom that Christ wants to offer to us. And there's something that's missing in the way that they do it. But it's also important for a second reason. And a lot of pastors and theologians and followers of Christ throughout the centuries have struggled with this one here. But the second reason it's important to get this right is because we see in Scripture that God is the most free being of all. God serves, is not subservient to anyone. God has no master. There's no one who's telling God what to do, but God is the ultimate free being. And God, being fully free, still can't do everything. Now you're like, that's not true. That's not what they taught me in Sunday school. But you know this is true. You know God can't sin. Right? Here's another part of God's nature. We know that God is not only the most free being in the world, but we also know that God is entirely righteous and perfect in all his ways, which means that there are limitations to what God would be able to do. Right? The moment that God sins is the moment that God ceases to be God by every definition that we've offered to God. But if we suggest that the ability to, uh, to do otherwise is freedom, then God can't be free in the definition that we've offered if God is limited in this way. Right, so we're in a conundrum. We're, we're in this in-between space where we're like, okay, God is the most free being in the world. God is also the most righteous being in the world. There's, the way that we understand freedom isn't quite aligning. And this is what takes us back to a medieval, medieval pastor by the name of Anselm. Isn't that a cool name? I really like his name. Anselm was his name. He was from this town in England called Canterbury. Canterbury Tales, you probably know this, right? 
And in the middle of this, Anselm's really struggling with this. He's like, God is the most free being in the world, but God is also the most righteous being in the world. And there's no way that the, this understanding of freedom, the ability to do otherwise, could ever be tapped onto God. So maybe we've got our understanding of freedom wrong. And this is where Anselm starts to offer another way. He's like, maybe there's a connection between freedom and righteousness that we're missing. Maybe there's something in the idea of God being the most free and God being the most righteous or holy that, that we're missing out on when we just say that, God, that freedom is all about the ability to do otherwise and we separate it off from righteousness. Something's wrong. And so Anselm starts to offer something else. He says that freedom is not the ability to do otherwise, to do whatever you want, whenever you want. He actually says that freedom is the ability to do the right thing all the time. Freedom is the ability to choose the good all the time. Now, I want you to think about this for your own life because we struggle with this, don't we? We don't always choose the right thing to do. We don't always choose the good in our lives. And there's a variety of reasons. I won't, I won't ask you to pin this on yourself, but think about your kids for a minute. Help, help preach back to me for just a minute. Why do your kids not choose the right thing? What, did, what are some of the reasons your kids don't choose the right thing? You can talk. It's okay. What do you think? Why do you, what's that? Rebellion. rebellion. All right. Open rebellion. Okay. Let's dig a little bit deeper. What, what else would they be doing when they don't choose the right thing in their life? Could be rebellion. Peer pressure. So there's, there's a, an ability they want to please others around them. Good. Sometimes they don't know, right? They don't know that, you know, my son, if he runs in the middle of the road, doesn't always know that there could be a car that comes over the hill and destroys his entire life and wrecks ours. Right? They don't know that they should avoid that. So there's knowledge. There's a lot of different things. Sometimes it's because of peer pressure and what others say. Sometimes it's out of open rebellion because we want the power in our lives. We don't always choose the right thing in our life because sometimes we don't know the right thing to choose. We're ignorant of the right thing. We don't do or choose the right thing because we don't have the willpower. This is another one. It's like, oh, I know it, but I just don't have the willpower to do it. I'm not strong enough to do the right thing. And so there's a variety of reasons that one of us or any of us or all of us would not choose the right thing in our lives. But, but would you agree with me, at least on this point, we all struggle in this area. We're all bound in this area where we don't always choose the good. We don't always choose the right thing. And so Anselm, as he started thinking about this, he says, yeah, but God is not limited in that way. God is the most free being of all, is not limited by those things that we're limited in. God always knows the right thing to do and can always do the right thing to do. And so Anselm looks back and he says, as I'm looking through the pages of Scripture, this is the freedom that Christ is pointing to. Not the ability to do otherwise or to do whatever we want to do. You say up, I say down, you say left, I say right. But instead, the ability to every single season of our life know and choose the right thing to do and do it. And here's why this is important. Because choosing the wrong thing, we go back to the illustration of children for just a minute, always drives us closer and closer to our death. I choose to keep my son out of the road and tell him that's a, that's a rule that he can't break. Why? Because I want to keep him out of pavement? No. I want to save his life. Because I know that if he crosses that boundary, he's moving more and more towards his death. And the truth is, in all of our lives, the good, the righteous, the morally upright, those decisions that we would make in that direction are not there to put limitations on us, but are there to actually preserve our life. 
And we know that the more and more we lunge into those self-destructive behaviors, the more and more we talk in, in negative ways towards others, the higher our probability moves towards our ultimate end of death. And so when Christ comes to talk to us about freedom, we understand that the ultimate loss of all freedom is death in our life. Death is that place where you no longer get the option to choose one way or the other. Death is the place where even if you wanted to do the good, you can no longer do anything. You've lost all freedom. There are no options left, whatever it is. And there's a story in the gospel accounts. In fact, it's told in all four of the gospel accounts of two criminals who are hung on either side of Jesus. And each of the gospel accounts, the writers talk about this story. But Luke, being the meticulous writer that he is, gives us a little bit more detail about what's taking place in this story. And that's why I had us turn to Luke chapter 23. Because even though every gospel writer talks about this, Luke actually helps us spell out the distinction between these two forms of freedom and these two thieves that are mentioned hanging on the cross. If you want to follow along, I'll start in verse 32. But here's, here's what he says. He says, two other men, both criminals. Now, some of the other gospel writers actually call them thieves, which may be true, but it's not, it's not the whole truth, which we'll discover in just a minute. Both were criminals and were also led out with him to be executed. Now, here's why we know that they weren't just thieves, even though they may have been a part of it. It's because of the next verse right here. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Now, crucifixion, let me just pause here and say a, a bit about this. Crucifixion is not reserved for the person who steals a loaf of bread from grandma, right? That's not what this is about. So if these are common thieves, they would have had a different sort of punishment. They might have had their, their arm chopped off. They might have had any other number of, of punishments, but they would not have been crucified. What we see here is actually a group of people who probably stole something of value to help overthrow the Roman government. They're insurrectionists. They're freedom fighters, right? The, the ancient scriptures and, and old documents call them zealots or radicals. That's the word that gets used a lot in scripture. But these are the people who are on both sides of, of Jesus. And this is important because the two individuals who hang there in deserving of, who are deserving of death have committed crimes that have led them to their death, but they committed those crimes in quest for what? Freedom. They wanted to bring freedom, not only freedom for, the, for themselves, but freedom for the rest of their countrymen and women. They wanted to bring freedom into the world, and so they are there under the penalty of law, ready to face their death. They might have stole something, but it was probably gold or something like that that could help them fund their mission in the world. They're there because they're insurrectionists in this moment. They're there because they are freedom, and they're there struggling, struggling under the weight and the decisions of their pursuit of freedom. Their painful, long, and excruciating and humiliating death on the cross is that, is that because of their quest for freedom. Each of them had lived a life in which they struggled to make sure that all their people, the Israelites, everyone who surrounded them, would be free from Roman occupation. They wanted to guarantee that the people in that land could do what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, and how they wanted to do it. And they were both, in this way, living under a similar assumption to what we live under day by day. An understanding of freedom that's grounded in the ability to do otherwise the ability to do whatever we want. And here they are at the end of their life with an understanding of freedom that has ultimately led them to their death. 
Here they are, hanging on the cross in this moment, overseen by four soldiers and a centurion in a process that could last for them days and days and days, where their bodies would literally rot and fall off to the cross. Like, this is what they're experiencing because of their pursuit of freedom. And here's what's interesting about this. Luke tells us that these two criminals are there. It says one's on the right, one's on the left. And then in verse 34, before they have an opportunity to say anything, Jesus speaks. Look what Jesus says in this moment. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. And with those simple words right there, Jesus clarifies for them and he clarifies for all of us who are reading this text what we struggle with all our life. I know this as well as you do, that much of our life, especially when we're in pursuit of the good, is just a stabbing in the dark. I hope I'm making the right decision. I hope I'm doing right by my kids in this way, or I hope I'm doing the right thing for my family. And sometimes life is so complex, we don't know if we're making the right decision. And Jesus says, even in this case, Father, forgive them. And he, he is talking to the soldiers and the crowds who are gathered there, but he's also talking to these thieves. Father, forgive them. For their hearts were in the right place, right? Father, forgive them for their intentions were in the right place. They wanted to pursue the right good, but they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't even know how their understanding of the world was leading them step by step to their death. And, and for us, we hope that we're making a difference in future generations. We hope that we're doing this, but at the end of the day, sometimes we just don't know. And before the criminals or the soldiers or anybody else in the room could say anything, Jesus does what Jesus always does for you and me. He extends forgiveness. Before you even know what you need to ask for, before you even know what you should be um, responding to that's been done negatively in your life to you or by you, He extends forgiveness to you. And the mercy of God is extended through Jesus Christ into a world that hasn't even asked for it. And Jesus, in His dying moment, exhibits for us what we should all do. Jesus does the right thing even when He's being executed as an innocent man. In this moment, Jesus models to us what true freedom is. Jesus will die in this moment, just like the criminals who are on his left and right, but he won't die in bondage. He'll be liberated from the bondage of, of, their, uh, of their crime against him as he forgives them. He'll die a completely free man in this moment by extending forgiveness. He liberates himself even from the humiliation of the cross. And in that space, surrounded by these two people, these two people who are a lot like you and me, two men who struggled their whole life to do what was right, to do whatever they wanted, and still struggled in this part of their life under the weight and penalty of death. But at the end of their life, and this is where it comes down to you and me, they made two very different decisions. There are two very different responses that come out of the mouths of the criminals who surrounded Jesus. And in these two responses, I think we too find the choice that you and I can make. If you'll skip on down to verse 39, you'll notice that the criminals start to speak in this verse. And it says in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Jesus had offered forgiveness, and this man hurled insults back at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And that, that's the angry one. <laughs> this is the one you don't want to be, right? And then he goes on in verse 40. But the other criminal looked at the first criminal and rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God at all? Don't you have any observance and, and obedience and fear of God? He said, since you are under the same sentence of death. 
You're under the same one. We're all up here as insurrectionists. You're under the same penalty of death. We've all been fighting for freedom, but there's one difference with this man in the middle. He turns back and he says, we are punished justly for what we've done. We're getting what our deeds deserve in this moment, but this man who's between us has done nothing wrong. In fact, before we ever could ask for forgiveness, he extended forgiveness to us. This man has done nothing wrong. And what I'd like to suggest to you today who are here with us, for you who are joining all sign, wherever you are, what I'd like to suggest as humbly and sensitively as I can is every one of us, spiritually speaking, are one of these two thieves, or one of these two criminals, every single one of us. And what we need to do today is to wrestle with this idea of, am I more like the thief who would hurl those insults and fight for whatever I wanted to do, or am I more like the thief who in the dying moments of his life would recognize that Jesus is the one who has offered a perfect path towards freedom? I'm not going to insult, but I'm going to live into this. Both of these individuals deserve death, both of them. All of them deserve death in this moment. And they've all chosen to live in a lot, uh, their life in a way that will lead them towards that death, that will lead them towards that destruction, that will lead them towards that devastation. But they both responded very differently in that final moment. The first is full of pride. The second has been, enti- has been surrounded by humility. The first is entitled to something. The second one has laid his entitlement aside and humbled himself at the feet of Jesus. The first is unrepentant. The second one is repentant in every way submits his entire life. And the second guy, even though he's as guilty as the first, yes, he's guilty, no doubt about it, he did wrong. But he's broken in this moment. In this moment, all of who he is is broken down and he lays it at Jesus' feet and he recognizes the error of his ways. He recognizes that he hasn't been able to do the right thing all his life and he's been in bondage to sin. He's been in bondage to sin, and he never knew it. He was fighting for all this other freedom in all these other places, and yet he himself was still bound by sin, death, and destruction. And he needed freedom in that moment. He needed freedom, and he calls out to Jesus in that moment. And here's where these two thieves represent for us as clearly as possible the two forms of freedom that I've mentioned to you this morning, the two forms of freedom that we've talked about all day. Thief number one says, I'll do what I want to do even if it kills me. That's it. I don't care. I'll do whatever I want to do even if at the end of the day I die doing it. I'm I'm going to be fine doing it. That's fine. If it leads me to my destruction, I'll do whatever I want to do because that's the means to die a free man. And the second thief says, I'm going to do what's right even if there's no reward on the other side. I don't know. I mean, that second thief asked Jesus. In fact, in the, in the very next verse after this, verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. Put me back together. I love the English translation, or I love the way the English puts that word together to remember something, right? We know what a member is. We know what the re-prefix means. It's to once again put back together. And and this thief, as he's hanging on the cross, his body's literally ripping apart under the way. He feels it in this moment. He says to Jesus, "Can can you piece me back together when you come into your kingdom? Can you recall me and pull me back together when you come into your kingdom? And he, he says this with the most, the most humility that's exhibited anywhere on, on Golgotha that day. 
but he doesn't say it knowing whether or not Jesus would extend that forgiveness. But the beautiful part of this moment is as soon as he would say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus answered him and says, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which had to be this liberating moment for this criminal who's on the cross. Like he's already on the cross recognizing that he could be up there for weeks, days, weeks, maybe even as much as a month they could keep you up there on the cross just hanging there. He says, no, no, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, our endless pursuit of selfish ambition, it's always going to lead to death. Always. That's the reality before us. That's the, the penalty, the weight of sin that's in our world. And at the end of all things, you know what we deserve? We deserve death. That is true for us. It's true for all of us. But the beautiful gift of God is that even though we deserve death, Jesus gave us life. In his great mercy, he turns death on its head. In his great mercy, he experiences death, its fullness, the weight of it, so that you might experience life. And he chooses to liberate you and I from the penalty that is around us. And I know, I know we don't like to wrestle with that, even, even saying that. I know this is one of those words that we try to avoid in life. I've talked to, to funeral directors and others around me. You know, as a culture, we love to deny death, right? You know, funeral directors get this more than anybody because no longer are they even, I mean, they can do it if they want to, but it's not kosher to drive up to someone's house in a hearse and take a body. Now, what do they do? They get a minivan or something else to hide the body in. Why? Because as a culture, we don't like to see death. We don't like to address the reality that it's all around us and that it's a part of us. It's our, it's our entitlement. I don't deserve death. I don't deserve that part of my life. Right? The scripture teaches us, and, and you don't even need scripture to, to see this, Death is that thing that has 100% return. We, we know it's happening. It's going to happen. We deserve death. But in the midst of deserving that, he comes to give us life. Paul says this ever so clearly in Romans chapter 6. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin in our lives, in our world, and everything around us, we see the destruction of our reality because of that. But God has come in Jesus Christ to offer another way. And the good news is, is the grace of God in Jesus Christ tells us that we don't have to receive what we deserve. There's another way that you can live. There's another way that you can operate. There's another way that you can be active in the world. And it's with the grace of God that will help you when you don't know what to do. It will give you the wisdom you need to, to make the right decisions. It will give you the courage to be strong enough to make the right decisions. It will help overturn those moments in our lives where we just don't think we can do it. And it's not in your strength. It's not in your wisdom. But it's by God's grace as we accept it. And the table of the Lord that we'll gather around this morning is that key spot. In the story of our faith where we get to see a God who knew the penalty of death not only knew it, but became familiar with it. Familiar to the point that he would submit himself as a servant and die for you and I. And every time we partake of the body and blood of Christ, we do this in remembrance of the death that he died for us so that you and I could live. 
And so this morning, as we come in just a moment to receive from the table, you'll have some time in the altar. And I hope that as you receive the body and the blood, that you'll receive once more a fresh dose of God's grace to help us not just live under the weight of the ability to do otherwise. But on this day where we recall freedom, I want to help us recall true freedom, the ability to do the right thing all the time. By the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me today?